My name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And, and we, we are, are the Extra Sisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to our fifth Haunted Happy Hour. And this is actually our, first of all, first episode with a formal interviewed guest. Yes, not just a sit-in guest. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you have, of course, myself and Kristen, but we would also like to welcome Miss Jessie Morris. Welcome. Yes, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me on. And again, this is a very relaxed format. We are drinking, actually, simply orange mango mimosas because Jessie is co-author of a book that she wrote with her mother, DJ, called Heaven, Hell, and a Mango. Mm -hmm. And this happy hour is all about near-death experiences, and that's a pretty broad term. But basically, if somebody has been in a coma, has coded, has officially died and come back, and what they experienced. And Jessie and her mother wrote an entire book because you were actually in a coma. I was, and I did the whole flat line, see the light, came back to life, uh, zombie-like living. Yeah, and this book is actually on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So again, Heaven, Hell, and a Mango by Jesse Morris and DJ Morris. And it was really cool because your mother, of course, was your basically caretaker with all these doctors and therapists and things coming in and out and trying to figure out what was wrong with you. She was your advocate. So you get her point of view, and then you also get Jesse's point of view of being in the coma and dying and coming back and everything that you experience. So it's a really cool back and forth story. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but of course, we can't even touch on everything that you experienced that you wrote down so if you're interested again heaven Mm -hmm. hell and a mango by jesse and dj morris on amazon hit it up so we asked some of our listeners some questions but what really stuck with me in your book um was there was one dream you had talking about basically dream or experience or i can't ever understand what you felt like it you know you were feeling but there were a bunch of little versions, tiny little versions of you that came out of your body mm-hmm. and thought they weren't going to be able to go back in to basically what was this vessel you didn't want to leave behind. And that, I had to stop reading and think about it for a little bit because I was like, that is, first of all, terrifying. Because if they don't get back in, that's you leaving, dying, right? Absolutely. So did it... My biggest question, I think, reading this, it sounds so terrifying. Did you feel like fear as we know it here during all of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The fear was constant. Uh, Literally, I think that it was my own, in a way, it was my own horror movie because it was so chaotic. There was no concept of time, so I didn't know, um, you know, where I was going and what was going to happen next. And things out of the realm of what could happen in the real world were just consistently happening to me. So being uh, left alone in a dark room to die, my body breaking down, parts of me dismantling, watching people just die around me, being left in all of these terrifying moments, I really, yeah, it was probably the most consistent emotion I had was fear. So in your book, you have a lot of the, a lot of your stories that you, you know, experienced when you were in the coma. When you came out, did you remember all of them vividly or did it come back to you over time? Came back over time. So it's kind of funny how comas, you're not supposed to remember anything immediately. And they told me that. And at first I couldn't say anything because I had a tracheotomy. So there's a big old hole in my throat, a big tube going down. So they kept telling me, oh, you know, 
Um, usually you're not going to remember anything from your coma, so don't expect to. But I immediately start trying to write things out. Mm-hmm. I had atrophy, so it was hard for me to put anything down on paper. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I got to texting, which is really funny. Like I used to be able to text in my sleep. <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm texting out these things that had happened to me. And people around me are like, wait, no. But that kind of makes sense <laughs> to something that was happening out here. And I just go into this whole deal of writing down everything I could remember in that moment. And over time, certain sounds, smells, and even the the way the lighting would hit me would bring back a memory. Would trigger you, basically. Exactly. Interesting. So real quick, just a very brief overview. What happened to you? How long were you in the coma to just give the listeners like some background? Yeah. So I am still officially labeled as a mystery diagnosis. Okay. <laughs> That's comforting. I was watching mystery diagnosis when they told me that too. It was hilarious. <laughs> okay. But I had a septic gallbladder and when I went into the hospital, they thought it was a virus. They knew my gallbladder was bad, but they thought I had a virus on top of that. So I went in and immediately they assigned 16 different doctors to my case and every one of those doctors asked for a blood test. Right. Nine vials for 16 doctors in a period of 24 hours. That's a lot of blood. They bled me to death. (laughs) And uh, the sepsis overtook my body and I fought it for a few days, but I lost my coherency um, pretty early on into the situation. And so... Is that because of how much blood they took? Yes, absolutely. And I was on morphine, which if <laughs> you've help. ever been on morphine. I can't even handle hydros. Oh, it's so amazing. I, <laughs> I remember raving about the morphine. <laughs> yeah, that, those combinations didn't work too well. So I guess I was one of the lucky ones. My doctor, who was caring for me, had seen that in a patient just a few weeks before, mm-hmm. and they had died from it. Wow. And so he didn't get them to ICU quick enough. For me, he noticed the symptoms, mm-hmm. and he had me shipped to ICU pretty fast. From that point in time, they then put me on a respirator, which they have to medically induce you into a coma mm-hmm. to put you on one. So they intubated, induced me into the coma, and then from there, I was out for 16 days. They fought back and forth to say... I wasn't in enough of a condition to have my gallbladder out. And then as I coded several times and I went into complete lung failure, which they call ARDS. So I had acute respiratory distress syndrome. So once that occurred, they said I was too fragile for them to remove the now septic gallbladder. Mm -hmm. So they just let me sit for about 16 days. And then on the final day, my mom had kind of pulled a trick on the, the surgeon by saying, you know, once she has these life-altering blood pressure medication on board, you will have to, you're just do the surgery because she's not going to survive it anyway. Mm-hmm. So my blood pressure bottomed out. They brought in the medication. While they were doing research on it or finding her the paperwork, whatnot, they were able, her, my sister, and brothers were able to get my blood pressure back up. So they didn't actually put the meds on board, mm-hmm. but they hung them. So she conned the doctor into, well, there's the meds, schedule the surgery. Yeah. They took my gallbladder out and 
I think it was another day before I was awake. Oh my god. So if they had just done that in the beginning, we'd be fine. We would have been fine. We wouldn't even have this book right now. We, we wouldn't have a very great story to tell, obviously. <laughs> but I would have, you know, I would have been the in and out patient and uh, on with my life. But instead, they, they like to try to think it was something pretty intense that mm-hmm. was going on in there. And it was just a simple case of sepsis. Hmm. So, yeah. Is it difficult for you to talk about? It. It, yes. Okay. <laughs> Over time. Thank okay. you for talking about it with yeah. us, though. Yeah. Thank you. Your mother was there the whole time, of course. My mother would be, too. She doesn't mm-hmm. live here, but her ass would have been on a plane in two seconds flat. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you described in your book your relationship with your mother, and I can't imagine on her side, even just reading her side, going through it as a mother, mm-hmm. having to protect your child up against some odds that you don't even understand. Mm-hmm. Are you still as close with your mom as you were? I think that over the years, yeah. Good. Yes. <laughs> good, good. I, I can't imagine it would drive you apart at all. No. In mm-hmm. fact, it was funny. We were fighting a little bit the other week, and she goes, you couldn't survive without me. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, I, okay, well, technically, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be alive without you, but <laughs> it's like, all right, you win that one. <laughs> now she gets to hold that over your head for the rest of your I life. Loved it. it was so hilarious. I was like, oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> She can. She can. Does she know you're recording today? She does. She wants a copy of this. Oh, yeah. So she's pretty excited. I just had a comment. I found it fascinating when you were talking about how things changed in your dreams that were happening in real life. Yeah. Like the, how you were making that honking sound and in your brain you changed it to a clown. That was the most fascinating thing to me. Oh my God. I love that. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. That sound was the funniest and worst sound ever <laughs> and to this day if i hear that honking sound yeah. it drives me right back there you think of that like, clown it's so yeah that's I, so cool i think of that cloud and i immediately associate it to my brother rob okay which is the funniest thing because for some reason for a person who is mortified by clowns mm-hmm. he was the one in my mind with that honking sound and it it just it made him a clown it made <laughs> sense and it just drives this whole this whole idea of He's the clown in my life. Mm-hmm. The honking sound. And so your brain crossed that. It and... just crosses these weird yeah. wires. And I okay. love it so much. So, since you brought it up, uh-huh. I've got to ask. So you have twin brothers named Bob and Robert? They are not twins. Oh, this they're is not. a very funny story. Okay. okay. So my brother Bob, okay, who is a Robert, met another Robert early in high school. Okay. And I guess these two were so much alike. In fact, not I guess. These two are so much alike. Mm-hmm. It's like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Okay. Got it. Oh, okay. It is exactly like that. Just two idiots who couldn't oh, live okay. in this world without one another. And so they happened to both be Roberts. And I kid you not, they they hung out with another Robert. Are you serious? In high school. <laughs> Roberts. So it was the Roberts. It was Bob, Rob, and Bobby. <laughs> Okay, that helps me out so much because I'm like, seriously, wait, I'm putting in my brain, how? How did that happen? Robert is a family name. No, (laughs) exactly right. Every member of the family. (laughs) So many Roberts. No, I get asked that question all the time. Perfect. I'm like my brother Bob and my brother Rob, and they're like, wait. Yeah, exactly. Stop right there. (laughs) Bob drug Robert home one day and said he he needs some advice about something, and Robert just never left until this day. Oh, okay. I mean, he officiated my wedding. 
wedding. He he's been my brother forever through through thick and thin. Got it. Better or worse, he's still part of the family. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. I love that story. But yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> I promise this is a real life scenario. <laughs> And speaking of your wedding, there is a man you talk about that was, like, by your side the whole time, and that's who you had a child with as well. Yep. And you're still together? Uh, technically, we mm-hmm. are, yeah. Uh, we have had our ups and downs, and these of last course. two years have been us more apart, just trying to build our lives more separately right now. Yeah. But, yes, he was the guy who was there. We were friends at the time. And I remember him showing up to the hospital the day I got admitted because we were supposed to hang out. I texted him like, oh, yeah, I can't hang out. I got to go to the hospital. I'm busy. (laughs) Um, Pretty sick. And he showed up. And, I mean, no one could keep him away. So he just stayed there with me through everything. Even sucked the snot out of my uh, tray pole, which was super, like, there was this little vacuum thing. And when it would get too thick, he'd just pull out the vacuum. It's like, there you go. Yeah. True love. True love. He stuck around for that. So, but, you know, every relationship has their ups and downs. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But he's still there today, and we have a cool... We have the coolest kid in the world. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. Axel, right? Axel Lee. Yeah, Axel he's my Lee. little my little monster. He's so funny. He's into the moon landing right now. So, 50th anniversary? Just heard its 50th anniversary yeah. yesterday. That, that's what got him, is <laughs> my mom awesome. was talking about it, and he's like, what is this? There are people who walked on the moon? Mm-hmm. And now he's cool. very into it. That and Sharks and Shark Week, and mm-hmm. I love him for that. Yeah. Um, my little <laughs> that's nugget. Awesome. That's so cool to hear you talk about having a child after going through something that you went through that you almost didn't mm-hmm. make it out of. Yeah. To see yeah. the other side. And in the book, didn't you say that they weren't sure you were going to be able to have kids? That's yep. really cool, too. They were um, pretty spot on about that being a thing because every day I had to have x-rays and my body went through so much trauma and there was so much rebuilding to be done. They were certain, like, you know, you're probably never going to have children. Mm-hmm. They thought I'd have paralysis in my right leg. They thought I would never be able to live on my own mm-hmm. or graduate uh, college. And I not only went back to school less than six weeks <laughs> later, which was ill-advised, <laughs> but I did it anyway. <laughs> I got my bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree. I had my son all in the same few couple of years. So take that, doctors. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you still struggle with? Yes. Simple map. Okay. I, I still struggle with that. I never <laughs> was in a coma and came to Alabama. So. Oh, it, it was so funny. I came out of the coma, and my sister's boyfriend at the time had some calculus homework to be done, so I helped him with that. And then Did it end well? <laughs> it, it actually, I was okay with calculus. <laughs> Good. But when they were trying to get me to do simple addition problems and stuff to uh, see how far uh, advanced I still was... I was struggling, and I can't say extensive. Like, if you have, say, 6,352, but you write Mm -hmm. it out and I look at it, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it. (laughs) There's a six, there's some other numbers, like, I'm going to get this. That, and I'm actually finding consistencies with some other people I've met who have brain damage as well, that there's this whole deal where I could be talking to a person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen to me anymore, 
But for the first two years, I would be talking to somebody, and sometimes it sounds like they're saying a foreign language. They're mm-hmm. speaking in a foreign language. That's scary. And they're speaking in English, mm-hmm. and I have no idea what they're saying. That's terrifying. Yeah, it was. I think yeah. that's scary as shit. My mother is <laughs> so interesting. My mother was actually in a motor vehicle accident, and she had a traumatic brain injury, and hers was the opposite. She thought she was speaking like a different language, so really? it got to the point where even, I mean, this was 15, 20 years ago, and she still asked people, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? All the time, because she's not sure. She's like, I am speaking English, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's weird what your brain goes through mm-hmm. in those moments. What, if you don't mind me asking, since we are like a horror mm-hmm. podcast, which I love. Good. Yay. Yay. <laughs> what is the scariest alternative reality experience? Or do you feel like they were dreams at all? Or do you feel like you had actually crossed a plane and everything was actually happening to you and it wasn't just your brain making shit up? I, like, how do you feel about that? I felt like I actually crossed a plane. I went on another side. It was completely out of body. Because your mother explained it as purgatory. I think it was your mother. It was purgatory. Purgatory, purgatory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I explained it as that, too. Right. Because I felt like I was in hell. It was hard to, or I guess just purgatory in that sense. It was hard to, well, one, I felt pain. Okay. Something that you shouldn't feel in dreams, Mm -hmm. right? They always say you can distinguish a dream because you can't feel pain. Well, I have this awesome scar on my arm, Uh which is now very minimal. Which I hate that it's so tiny. Um, Because outside of my coma, or outside in the real world, um, I was... I got a potassium burn from an IV. So my skin, everything melted. It's actually kind of cool how that happens. So I had this big old bubble. Um, But inside my coma... Was this was the story of the old lady? The okay, old lady. Yeah, the old lady. <laughs> so it, this is how it happened to me. But as I'm sitting there and she hits me with it, right, it hurt like hell. It was so fucking painful. <laughs> and that's when it was kind of like, okay, this is not a dream. Yeah. You know, where in dreams you don't feel the pain. I right. felt every <laughs> minute of it. Yeah. And it was disgusting and horrifying throughout the entire thing. So I felt like I crossed onto another plane. I truly feel like I was in some variation. I'm not religious, but I felt like I was in some variation of hell because everything that was happening to me was senseless and painful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was, and I mean, I, I don't, I hope that like whatever heaven or the other, <laughs> the positive side of the other side right. would be, would not be as painful and dark and horrible and horrible yes so my question and again if it's too much you don't have to answer it what was the scariest thing you experienced on the other side because i know there was seeing people you love die over and over which i think i've heard hell explained as as very personalized Mm because i've read a lot about this subject even before we decided to do this that hell is whatever your hell is so you saw a lot of deaths happen over and over but you also basically went toe-to-toe with the devil so what was the scariest thing you experienced that you wanted to get out of so badly but of course your brain and your body and your soul was like nope trapped Mm -hmm. super trapped i think part of it there were separate there's little instances of it the first time i heard i was going to die that was really terrifying for me because I was in a hospital bed and uh, they start and I can't I can't speak for myself they're like she's gonna die it's done she's mm-hmm. it's over and that was just like no I have no control over this I can't I'm not supposed to don't let me die mm-hmm. but it was imminent 
And then the second one was the dark theater. Yeah. That was mortifying just because of the thing that was in there with me. Mm -hmm. I'm alone in this theater, but I'm not alone. Yeah, it was a movie theater. It was a movie theater. And it was almost like what you would consider like an older one where it had like the red curtains and you can see the white screen. And it was something kind of out of what you would say a classic horror movie in so many ways. And I'm just sitting there and it wasn't being in this dark. It was the thing that I could fill in the room with me. And then that thing latched on, and it followed me through the rest of it. So the next scariest moment that sticks with me the most is when I went toe-to-toe with the devil because I was so frustrated. And the fact that it was my mom for so long, and then suddenly it just morphed into this dark black thing, and I couldn't stop just ripping at it and trying to fight my way out of it, that was mortifying to me. Because I didn't know if I was going to win, but at least I had a fighting chance at right. that point in time. And then the weirdest thing is when I came back, about, I think I spent three additional weeks in the hospital, if I recall, and I was home by October 31st. Nice. You yeah. know, right? It was perfect timing. <laughs> and it was about, I think I was home for the first time by myself. And I'm walking through my house. And there's this old security box mm-hmm. on the wall. And this thing isn't attached to anything anymore. You mm-hmm. can see the wires just kind of dangling out of the back of it. I feel something. I feel that thing come back. Okay. Oh, and it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of been with me throughout this whole process. So I, I whenever somebody suggests, like, well, maybe I'll stay with you, I would say, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Just hang out with me. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at this point in time, there's nobody to really babysit me and so I'm like okay I'm gonna do this I'll be home by myself and everything's fine and then I that crawling feeling gets in my spine Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm not alone in the house and I hear something at the front door and so I walk towards the front door and I'm standing next to this disconnected security alarm Uh -uh. and I hear something thud against the front door and then that alarm (laughs) just blaring it just oh goes on. <laughs> I kid you not. I crawled oh up my into freaking a little God. fetal wall. Something passed by the window, and I just curled up in a fetal wall. Dude, I bet. Like, Holy crap. I am not going to I think I would have just passed this. out. Right? <laughs> I probably almost did. That was the scariest thing in the world for me. And this is a person, like, I spent my entire, all through high school, not all through high school, I, I loved horror movies when I grew up, so oh. I was very paranoid. By the time you've seen this movie before, because I've it's, seen yeah. it, exactly. you know, I, I had rules when I went into the public restroom. Like, okay, you know what stall Smart. is the safe stall to go. I love that, right? Right. You know how to handle these situations, and in this situation, I'm like, this is a horror movie situation, <laughs> and this is not going to end well because I'm not as strong as I usually am, Fair. and I don't know how to fight this thing on this plane. So it was. I, I was like, just fetal position. Just pretend like it's not there. You know, the kid who curls under the cover is like, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. I mean, what else do you do, though? Like, you you know that this is... You've experienced this already. And this thing, which we can assume is some sort of demonic force. Like, yeah. Because I think when you enter into some sort of realm like that, these things want to feed off you as they did with you mm-hmm. and try to break you. Mm-hmm. And so then you've been touched by that. And so what if something latches onto you mm-hmm. and continues to stay with you? Like, 
which, you know, it exactly. may. One of the questions that was curious to me, but I also got on our Instagram was, has this changed how you think about death? Do you fear death or did it make it better for you, basically? That is the best question I could ever mm-hmm. get. It absolutely changed everything I thought about death. We always fear death, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to... Right. The fear of the die. unknown. We don't know what's going to happen, and it's final and forever. Mm-hmm. Forever. I gained a sense of control over death that I actually I welcome it when it comes, mm-hmm. and I know that at this point in my life, there's no need to... Uh, to fear it, but I just know I don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm just not ready for it, but I'm not afraid of it anymore. That's awesome. And that's I think, good, yeah. yeah, that's an awesome thing to feel. When people talk about death and they get sad and they get scared, it's like, no, that's, it's not as bad as people think it is. Yeah. Because in death, you really do leave behind everything you, you knew in the world. Right. So I can recall being in the light and that sense of feeling like all I want to do is get to the other side mm-hmm. and I can smell the mangoes mm-hmm. and I can feel the fresh breeze and I know it's going to be beautiful and amazing and I didn't think of anything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember anything from my world. So for us, it's kind of sad to know like, oh yeah, you don't remember your dogs, mm-hmm. you don't remember your family, you don't remember anything, but to be that person who dies it's not the loss for them. It's right. okay for them. Right. For us, it's hard mm-hmm. living in this world, but to be the one who goes through it, it's, it's actually quite pleasant. Well, then on top of that, let's go even darker. Okay. There's a point in your book that you and your mother both address about how you're not sure how you want to be buried or cremated. Yes. You decided. I'm oh so God. curious. Ah. I'm such a pain in the butt. (laughs) Well, I can say ass. Wait, I'm a pain in the ass. Um, No, I still, okay, this is the shitty thing. After the coma, I was like, okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. I want to be entered into that body works exhibit. Oh, cool. I can't, I'm an incomplete specimen because they took my fucking colon. That's a good fucking point. They just won't, they won't take variations. (laughs) This one's missing this, but still functions. This one's missing this. It still functions. Like, come on, man. (laughs) It was so sad to find out I couldn't do it. So (laughs) I still haven't 100% decided. Figured out. (laughs) But I'm kind of edging towards the bury me with a tree seed and like you know like those weird where yeah you bury you under a tree Mm -hmm. and you become a tree i'm like that's Mm -hmm. cool yeah right that'd be pretty epic Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my that's where you're leaning right now that's where i'm leaning my mom was gonna have me cremated yeah that was what she decided yeah she told me (laughs) that because it wasn't i feel like it was like a few weeks before maybe not even Mm -hmm. that i had found out that with cremation and if this is too much for the users on here i'm sorry they don't care we've talked about we talked about genocide in one episode we We got drunk and talked about genocide genocide. like (laughs) the concept of genocide is very intriguing not that i love it as an act but the concept of genocide is an incredible it's like a horrible yet incredible thing that yeah they uh occurs. we we earn our e rating good on the, on the, on the platform yeah, so. for sure. yeah no you're good to talk See, about i haven't gone through you your whole library yet but i gotta get it <laughs> i found out that cremation uh they grind your bones up in a, in a blender because mm-hmm. you can't burn somebody's bones yeah 
to right. ashes, right? So you got to grind them up. And I was like, I don't really... Like, I'm okay with the fire part of it, but I didn't realize I had to be put in a blender. <laughs> and that yeah. was it. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I don't want that. And then on the other side of it, I would be bored spending eternity in a freaking box. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do any of that. Like, don't put me in a box and, and don't grind me in a blender. But my mom's like, I had to think of something, so I was just going <laughs> to grind you in a blender. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. So my dad passed away when I was 18, and he actually always wanted to be cremated. Well, they had talked about it, and he was like, you know, I prefer cremation for, like, me, but whatever you guys need. But my Mm -hmm. mother just wanted so desperately to have a place to go where Mm -hmm. he physically was. And so we ended up burying him. So I think a lot, you know, like your mom had to make a decision what was going to be better for her to grieve you. Exactly. Might be, you know, like, I think a lot of what is left is for the living, Mm -hmm. like you said. Exactly. Who passes, they pass on to something we don't know or understand. And the only people that can't even grasp it are people that have died and, and come back, like you. And I don't envy you in one way, but in another way, you got a very liberating Yes. Resolve there that we'll never get unless we die. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, and I don't know, like one of the other things I got was these two are variations of the same question. So when you were entering the about to die phase or, you know, when you coded and and came back, what was the last thing that you remember seeing or thinking before you actually flatlined? If you know, unless your brain was too... Mm-hmm. Or you were you're, you were experiencing something to where it didn't matter if you coded or not because you were already there. Mm-hmm. It's already I I can't actually remember like right before I coded and or associate it. Mm-hmm. I'm I think before I saw the light, the last thing I think that happened was the the fight with the devil. Okay, that was the hardest part, was just fighting off that figure and then getting to a good place. Other than that, gosh, things that I can remember. But you saw a light. Like yes. the light that everyone remembers. It happened. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Did you feel like you had a choice to I, go or yeah, not? Yeah. Abs- I think that was the thing. I chose to come back. And that was kind of the cool thing is because I was in that light forever. And again, no concept of time. Right. And this. Anything could happen at any point. You know, sometimes that was very frustrating. Yeah. Because it's like, I just, I want to know where I am in this. And it was just never ending. And there were no walls and no dimensions. When I was in the light, it was, okay, I want to get to that point. I'm going to that point. And then at one point, I said, no, I'm going to turn around. And I turned around. And so I I decided not to go all the way through. And I think some people are pulled out of that. And then I think some of us have a choice. And that's where it becomes more easy for me to say, like, okay, I can do this again if I have to because... You know, yeah. I had a choice, yeah. and I, I had so many choices. And I think that's kind of a cool thing about going to the other side is we think things happen to us. And I know that I make choices because I had choices to – I know it's weird. You guys remember the part about the Coca-Cola? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the weirdest things. Where you could Coca-Cola. grab it or not. Yeah. yeah. And it's like if I drank the Coca-Cola, got that, I was going to hell. Mm-hmm. So I chose not to touch the Coca-Cola. Like, nope. Yeah. It's not happening. I'm not going to give in to my The devil is tempting you. Exactly. My right. temptation, those temptations. I'm not going to give in to it because I know that if I do that, I go to hell. Mm-hmm. And that's just not happening. <laughs> I want 
to go to heaven. And so I fought to get to that point. And really, when I got to that point, I said, no, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. So I went home. Yeah. I think that was that was kind of the coolest thing. It's yeah. like, and it's it's fun for me when I run into somebody else who's like, yeah, I've seen the light. Yeah. And then we can share in those stories. In fact, my mom, when she had me, she almost died. She had a lot of blood loss. Mm-hmm. So she went into the light too. So that's another oh, that's way we connect cool. is the fact that we both have seen the light. Yeah. Not cool that she almost died. No. no. Cool <laughs> that she <laughs> She made a choice too that. though. The the really cool thing is in that moment she heard a baby cry. And I don't know if it was me or another baby because they had rushed me out of the room. Mm-hmm. She was alone in the room. It was the 80s. It was in Germany. She was alone <laughs> in the room right after she had me. Um, they were more focused on me. And so um, she was, when she went and went into the light, she heard a baby and went, nope, I got things I got to do. I got to get back out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she made a choice to come back. It's interesting talking about the light because we tend to, like she said, get pretty dark and personal because that's mm-hmm. what this whole premise of yeah. this whole podcast is. And my dad... I already said he died. He had cancer. Most people that have listened know that. But he was sick with cancer for about seven months. And he was stage four when we found out, and it went fast. The last, like, two or three months of his life, probably, I'd say, two months, and especially the last month, he was in ICU. He was on hospice care, which is pretty much morphine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until you die. They were like, My mom told me that... He just, he was holding on for the last few weeks and he wouldn't go. Like he wasn't there, but he wouldn't go. And one night she just sat by him and was like, it's okay. You can leave. You should leave. There's nothing for you here. Just go. And he died that night. Mm -hmm. Like it took him a couple hours. Mm -hmm. But I think that once he heard my mom say, it's okay, you can go because especially even if you're on morphine but he was probably comatose at that point as well like yeah. his body had started shutting down so i just wonder you know and if seeing people eventually when we get to the other side is something we can do like if i can talk to him again and ask mm-hmm. him like what did you experience were you holding on were you trying to come back but your body was too weak like mm-hmm. you had some strength left and sometimes in cancer patients like there's none they can't if he was waiting for her to say like you can go and how his brain processed that maybe it was like a physical letting go Mm -hmm. maybe she let go and he went or that's just something that it's not necessarily I wouldn't say make it makes that loss any better because again he's free from pain but Mm -hmm. we're not on this side but that doing this you know like we have things to talk about after this as well kind of made me feel better about death I agree. Like nothing's happened to me like that, but it all it made me feel better. Even some of the more negative experience. Nothing that you went through necessarily when you were there was positive other than you got to make decisions. But mm-hmm. on the other side of it, it seemed to have a positive impact. And that's something that I've taken from your book, some of the stories that we have read mm-hmm. about it, because people say it's pretty non-traumatic. Getting mm-hmm. there is traumatic. Yeah, exactly. Dying not the death which is something you've always said too Mm -hmm. yes because i've gone through i wasn't in a coma but i've gone through a near-death experience as well oh awesome yeah so i mean i say that and i mean it is it's cool because you're finding it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you have to experience something 
I don't want to interrupt. No, yours, go. I'd love but, to um, hear about it. Yeah, so what happened to me was I was probably 10, and I went to a pool with my friend, and we were doing the stupid game that kids do where you dunk them underwater and let's see how long you can hold your breath, and I didn't. I took on a lot of water, and um, nobody saved me, actually. I saved myself. So she ended up telling me later that you did the best dead man's float I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, because I was dead. That's why. Because I remember specifically <laughs> lifeguard. First of all, was there a lifeguard at this public? No, I I completely agree. I literally don't remember there being a lifeguard there. There had to have been, right? It's a public pool. a public pool. Yeah, but I don't remember there being one. I don't remember anybody saving me. I remember just coming back and her telling me that afterwards. Wow. But I remember I took on a lot of water and I passed out and I just like floated above my body and I saw myself laying there, just floating there, like on a TV. Like I saw everything that was going on. And that was it. And then I just came back and I walked home and I was so traumatized. Like getting, going there was totally fine. It was honestly peaceful. I would choose drowning over anything, but getting back, it hurt so bad. And then I had to go home and tell my mother what happened. And that was fucking great. <laughs> Your mom lost it. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she didn't believe me. She was like, yeah, you took on a lot of water. You passed out. But I was not there. I was above watching myself drown. And do you also feel like you made the decision to go back? Yes. Do you think you could have kept ascending, yes, essentially? Yes, absolutely. And it was so peaceful, and I kind of wanted to, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that definitely sits with me now. Like, I am petrified of death, but it's not death. I'm petrified of the pain that you have to go through to get there oh. and possibly going through that pain alone. But the death part, I'm I'm not saying I'm ready, but I'm ready. Like, yeah. okay, let's. that's fine. It's okay. When it comes, it comes. It's like, I, I don't think there's a process of being ready for it but then there is Mm -hmm. so I agree even um in terms of being a cancer patient there comes a time when you say okay I'm going to stop fighting this Mm -hmm. and just accept it Mm -hmm. yeah so right exactly which I think my mom basically permissing my dad to to Mm -hmm. die was him saying like you know because there was no fight left like we all knew that but in his mind I don't know what was happening in his mind I don't know where he was and Mm -hmm. I'll never know until I die yeah Yeah. you know and so maybe in there was still fight in him and his I mean it's kind of like let's say like one of my grandmothers died from lung cancer my other grandmother died from Alzheimer's and dementia I saw one lose their mind and I saw one lose their body Mm -hmm. much rather lose my body Mm -hmm. because you know there could have still been fight left in my dad's Mind, yeah. but his body was gone. But at least he was able to do things at the end, you know. And mm-hmm. so I wonder, like with dementia patients and Alzheimer's patients, when they die, did they lose their mind? If they are, like, it's just like, what do they have left? Yeah, internally, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. So I, it blows my mind, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. to think about all that and like the fact that you were there. Like, I just. I think I read your book in two days and the first day I actually had it on my phone and I was reading it and I read it for so long just Mm -hmm. laying down that when I stopped scrolling on my phone I had just been staring at it so long (laughs) the words started moving around and I was like I gotta take a fucking break (laughs) because both sides fascinated me what your mother was going Mm -hmm. through and how your brain was basically describing it to you like the machines Mm -hmm. like the burn like hearing that back and forth i'm so glad that you did it together 
so that we knew what was happening in the room versus what was happening. Mm -hmm. How was your brain trying to tell you what was happening? Because you were desperately asking for answers. Has your mom changed her views about death from your experience as well? And her experience, because she went through it too. Yeah. You know, is that something you got to bond on or was it something you didn't really want to talk about because neither one of you want each other to die or to think about dying yeah i think that's the hardest part we're like don't die we tell that to each other all the time like don't don't die i think and i don't i i never really get a chance to talk to her about her perspective Mm -hmm. of death after that event i just know that she's a little more fragile with me Mm -hmm. of course everybody when i had my son i had a c-section and i guess it freaked everyone out in the room yeah. it went yeah, from but... <laughs> like oh this is great this is laughter and baby my, yeah, yeah baby coming and in fact we were laughing so hard that my family outside of the room was texting to say are you guys having a baby in there or having a comedy show like, what the hell is happening in there and so when it came down to the c-section and they said you're gonna have a c-section I was calm I was ready to take on what was gonna happen my doctor knew my health history of course as she should Mm -hmm. and she had the specialist there in case something went wrong Mm -hmm. and my spouse and my mom got very quiet and my best friend came in to sit with me for a minute and I was fine but everybody around me was quietly freaking out because they had essentially lost you before they had so it became a very intense moment of like oh god don't let this happen again Mm -hmm. and uh, for me I knew what to expect if something happened again but it was so I think overall that that kind of leads her to this more real this realization that it's more obvious that or it's more possible to believe like you have to maybe one day live without your kids mm-hmm. but hopefully not Jesus yeah Christ, yeah right because right. you should like, go before you should your never children yeah. have to experience that and then there was this cool bond where when we were writing this book we had taken it and we actually wrote it apart we wrote our, our situations apart and then we started connecting the dots and we were just up. like, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome Yeah, that we can tie all of this together. And it was... And that it made sense. It was very yeah. seamless. Like what was happening with you is happening with mm-hmm. her, what's happening with you is happening with her. That's awesome. I love yeah. hearing that you felt that because for us, it does, it all makes sense. And as we were putting it together, we're like, we're, we wonder if it'll make sense to other people. <laughs> and we like that we took it from that perspective too because she did fight so hard from the outside Mm -hmm. and there is a component to where we're writing this for the living and i want people to have a sense of comfort yeah in knowing when your loved one can hear you Mm -hmm. when they're in a coma and And that was when you felt like your mom was you were actually in room with her sitting next to you absolutely i can sense her there she was the in fact she was the scar on my arm i know this is kind of weird backstory on my mom her spirit animal is a bear she loves them. She mm-hmm. is like a mama bear in every way you can yeah. think of. She put a six five doctor through a wall because Jesus. He, because he left. He was going to sign my death certificate. He said, No, I'm done he with this case. Done, yeah. And we actually found it in the records where the nurses were trying to contact him. It was because mm-hmm. two um, respiratory therapists Got Which up were the, the good guys, basically. They were the good guys. Yeah. They got up the nerve. They went to the pediatric ward. They stole the medicine they had to use to keep me alive, and they kept me alive. Mm-hmm. So it was nurses and RTs, basically. RTs who did it, and the doctor who went, no, I'm done with this one. And so she attacked him. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
There isn't a person who was there who said, oh, yeah, no, your mom doesn't have anything. Like, she's not a tough woman at all. Everybody's like, don't piss DJ off. <laughs> Ever. Especially, I mean, this isn't, you know, I've seen my mom get irate when something small happened to my brother and I. This is literally your child's life. Like, if, yeah. if you don't spring into action nobody's going to and for you to have such a strong because I'm sure there are some mothers that and this everyone deals with things differently but luckily your mother is such a strong headstrong person or some would just crumple next to their child's body and and sob and and that would be it (laughs) right which would be horrible but your mom was like nope ain't happening that was her exact response no not today in fact I think she wrote about the nurse coming in and telling her she's gonna die she's gonna die and that was when my mom was like fuck you she's not gonna die (laughs) and she got out of bed and she's that type of person yeah you could tell her there's nothing you can do and she's like fuck you I'll find a way to do it if one of us came up with cancer the cure to cancer would be there tomorrow. Yeah. She'd find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's that type of person. And lucky I think for you, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm very lucky to have my mom. And she really did get me through the situation because when that burn came on my arm, it was the shape of a bear. Hmm. And oh, so wow. she was the bear on my arm the entire time. And there were moments we were in the room together and she volunteered to go instead of me. And that was when she was telling me she, if I went, she was going to go. Yeah. And it was, you know, very connecting for us. And I think that's that creates bond that of can course. never be broken. And that nobody can... I mean, like, my mother and I are very close, but we're not the... You brought me back to life because you were there for me kind of close, you know? <laughs> I don't think that that's, you know... And not to say that you would ever want this to happen to anybody you know, but you got a lot out of it that... Yeah people don't get like I'll never know that and and I'm not upset about it but also right. <laughs> in the same breath it's now you have that with your mom which yeah. nobody can change or break or you know that exactly. happened and you have that bond now I love that fact it's yeah you can't you can't break that bond and I the bond I have with life is so much more intense then, you know, if you ever, if I don't know if either of you guys have ever suffered from depression. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, both so of us. Yeah. I had a little bout of it. Uh, one right after my son was born, I had postpartum depression. And then la- about two years ago, when my husband and I uh, broke up, I went through a little bout of situational depression. And everybody always asks you the same question Do you feel like killing yourself? Do you feel like dying? And I, Regardless of how shitty I felt, I said, absolutely not. Like, I fought to be here. I've been there, done that. Yeah, like, I've been there, I've done that. I've fought to be here. I'm not going anywhere. Like, I can promise you that. Can you please just help me fix the sad? Like, exactly. (laughs) Like, I just want to stop crying every day. (laughs) You know, it's one of those deals. It's like any, anything that happens to me could be the shittiest thing in the world. And I just take a brief moment to say, but you know what, you know how valuable life is because you fought for it. Mm-hmm. So you're here to live it, whether you fucking like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which is also something to be grateful for. Cause yes. I think so many of us, we just get so entrenched into what's making us depressed or anxious. And we only, I mean, we have to fight to live through that, but mm-hmm. we've never died and had to literally fight to come back to life. Right. So it's something that is 
I know it's cliche, but like you got a new lease on life. You got it. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. I was so ready to live and I've tried to do it every day. Like I kid you not. I have chocolate cake for breakfast some days. Because I wake up and I go, fuck it, I fought to be here. I some chocolate cake. Like, I think people hate me for that, but it's like, no, it's fine. I, I deserve Do what this you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, it's kind of incredible. And it's funny because I tell people, oh, this awesome thing. I, or when they ask me about it, like, it'll come up. You know, oh, just died once. And people are like, oh my God, that's horrible. I said, no, it was great. <laughs> like I'm so sorry and you're like no 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 it was awesome I was glad I went through it because you know it's like it's so weird because people will tell you like oh my god that from the outside that's a horrible experience Mm -hmm. it's so traumatic Mm -hmm. but at the same time you're like yeah but I know that it's not exactly in so many ways like no it's cool to have this cool experience I can share with the world I can make people feel better about life Mm -hmm. and And death and death Mm -hmm. I can make people feel better about death and you know I got this it's kind of fun when like Every so often, somebody would be like, well, we don't really know what happens on the other side. I'm like, I do. (laughs) Some of us do, yes. (laughs) Yeah, like not everybody fits into that category. (laughs) So after you came out of the coma, since they didn't really know, of course, they took your gallbladder and and that, of course, made the situation 100% better almost. Not 100, but close. Pretty good. Uh, Were you scared that it was going to happen again since they didn't know what happened? And has that stayed with you? Or did you go through like a year or two and then you were like, okay, it's gone. Like whatever it was, I'm fine. Paralyzing fear for years. I remember sitting in a class, my first class back, and I told you, ill advice, I went early. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there taking a midterm and somebody coughed near me. I was told by my doctor, the one of the good doctors, I was told if I get even a simple cold, mm-hmm. it could cause pneumonia, I can slip back into a coma, and I could die from it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And with ours as well, it could literally, you have a you have a 30-day stamp on ARDS. So when you code and they officially announce it ARDS, October 1st was the official day one, October 30th, I could still just randomly die. <laughs> Jesus. Get out of the coma, feeling good, walk it around, release me from the hospital. I could get home, take a breath, and just die. Yeah. And that was just horrifying. Like, it was, I felt like, wait, this could be my last day. All right, I got to I gotta take this for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's going to be a good day. Yeah. And that's how I felt every single day. And I sat in that midterm, and I heard that cough, and I just started bawling. Like, I can't my be bad. here right now. And anytime somebody would come near me with a sniffle or a sneeze, I would lose it and I'd run away. And it was just like, it was my kryptonite for yeah. so many years. And I think only after my son was born did I get the balls to just let it happen at that point. And now, mind you, out in public, if somebody coughs, I kind of step away again. Right. But it doesn't affect me in the same way anymore because once you have a kid vomit on top, your freaking chest you're like oh, okay i'm not gonna die now <laughs> they're but gonna bring home everything so everything and then they don't get it and then you still get it <laughs> oh you're not sick how am i sick right now oh yeah it's but even in my pregnancy the first conversation i had with my doctor was i had arts and mm-hmm. it was caused by an abdominal infection so 
if we're going to do this, we're going to do it with all of the precautions in, in place. Mm-hmm. So I kid you not, she had two other doctors, one who had both who had dealt with ARDS, one was an OBGN who had dealt with ARDS mm-hmm. in patients, both on standby during my entire pregnancy and through my delivery to Good. make sure I got the best care necessary. Good. So it was very gloves, hands-on, make sure she doesn't die of anything. <laughs> and then only after that did I start to lighten up. And your mom said several times, you know, the doctors, she didn't trust them. They were not, mm-hmm. I mean, they just saw you as a number. So I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, you did not deliver your son at, at that hospital. I did not. <laughs> oh my God, I have the best story of that. Okay, so I, of course, sued the hospital after that because they did so many things right right that it just kind of it made sense for me to say hey look you guys killed me mm-hmm. so I kind of feel like I, I need something back off of that yeah as well as they tried to charge me four hundred thousand dollars in medical bills yeah Holy to that I was rat. I wasn't gonna ask but I was so curious <laughs> yeah. how much your medical it bills was... were because I know that like what my dad's were and he was only in the hospital on hospice for a month and uh-huh. you were there 40 days I think yeah but between getting there and get waking up and going through therapy and things. Exactly. Yeah. And they expected me to be there through December. And I was yeah. out mid-October, actually. I was out right. mid-October. That was the best day ever. I bet. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was expensive. And I had health insurance. But there's this whole deal. They tried to go around the law. I learned a lot on the law for that. So I if bet. anybody has yeah. questions <laughs> on, <laughs> on your rights, on your yeah. rights in the insurance field, like, let me know. But they, so I followed with a suit. I was told one too many times, well, you should have just died. Your family would have made more money. Yes, but I want to live Jesus over making Christ. a dollar. So I'm just going to take my life and go over there. Yeah, right, right. And then I found one lawyer who helped me actually sue for the radial nerve damage that I suffered. Because my left hand, it was hilarious. One day I'm holding my uh, guy's hand and I look and I go, I can't feel that. Was that weird? <laughs> my brain didn't make that connection until that moment where I was like, I don't feel what's happening with your hand and my hand. And so I called a nurse and I said, is there a problem here? And she goes, oh no, you have a, a, a or you have a radial nerve damage from that burn in your arm and it's just going to get worse. So I would <laughs> randomly drop things because I, if I wasn't looking at it, I couldn't feel it. Mm-hmm. So my hand would just let loose. Yeah. I still have numbness in my hand, mm-hmm. so I can't feel like that. And uh, it's only in these two fingers now, uh, my thumb and my pointer finger. But, you know, there's there's a little nerve damage there. So I did win a small lawsuit from them. And then I just laughed off the rest of the bill because I learned the laws. <laughs> and they promised me free medical care for the rest of my life. Like you would go back, though, right? I literally told their lawyer Kill me once, shame on you. Kill me twice, shame on me. You think I'm coming back to this hospital? You're sorely mistaken. And I laughed my ass out of that room. Like, you've got to be shitting me. Free medical care. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) Oh, it was the funniest thing in the world. (laughs) I I definitely go to the alternative hospitals now. I don't know. I'm not going there. And I try to advise people against using certain doctors who I was about to say you should keep tabs on your doctors too because they'll just move around they do man they really do there's one that I'm kind of obsessed with I love him he was my uh, second pulmonologist on my case 
Oh, I, and the guy who sent me to ICU is so hilarious because we called him Dr. Evil mm-hmm. because of his name. And he was the best one on the case. Uh, the one, the pulmonologist, I saw him. I was one of the only people, one of three patients that had been on something called an acute or an oscillator ventilator and what it is it's a ventilation system that's ran by a piston Mm -hmm. so instead of blowing your lungs up like a balloon and letting them deflate Mm -hmm. causing more damage it actually scars your lungs to do that Mm -hmm. it keeps a consistency in your lungs so it keeps a constant mass of air flowing through your lungs pushing out the carbon dioxide and pushing in the oxygen okay so it prevents that damage it's still new technology and they haven't had enough adult patients because they use it on NICU babies whose yeah. lungs are preemies who are underdeveloped. So they haven't had enough adult patients. So I'm one of three patients, the first three patients who used it. That's cool. Very lucky it was engineered here mm-hmm. at the Air Force Academy, actually. Oh, nice. So it's still being tested here. And he was doing a research on it. So he came on, used me in his research paper. And when I visited him about two, three years later, mm-hmm. he did, uh, they, I didn't come in and say, I was your ARDS patient. So they did the test, the capacity test on me. He walks in the room, he's like, I don't know why you're here. You only have maybe asthma, but not even that. Like barely a case of asthma. I looked at him and I said, I was your ARDS, your ARDS patient. White as a ghost. No. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. This is the girl. So I love scaring him every so often <laughs> with that, ooh, I'm your ghost. The arts ghost. I'm the arts ghost. And then Dr. Evil didn't know because they didn't share it around the hospital that I had survived. So the day I left, he was on the elevator with me when I was leaving, okay. and he didn't recognize me because I had changed so drastically in that time frame. I bet, yeah. <laughs> that he gets off the elevator, then he realizes it's me. He runs down two flights of stairs to catch me at the elevator again and just loses it. Like, oh my God, she lived. Aww. That was the thing I kept getting was, oh my God, she lived. Like, yeah, yeah, that's I, right. Yes, that's because I said I was going to live. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> that was so great. That's really cool. So on the subject of near-death experiences, and if you experience any of these, feel free to chime in. We got a couple and we're going to talk about a few different ones because I think everybody's experience, of course, is different, but at the same time, I was researching this. They were real similar, right? so similar, Mm -hmm. which that's cool because then you can be like, that's what it is. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So, well, to start out, we haven't done this in a while and I'm sorry, you guys, I failed. But there are some near-death experience horror movies if anybody's interested and I actually did compile a list of some. And I'm just going to name them off. And we have Happy Death Day, uh-huh. Insidious, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Serpent in the Rainbow, Soul Survivors, Jacob's Ladder. There's a movie, actually, I want to watch with you. It sounded great. It's called Afterlife. It's literally about this. That's cool. That's yes. epic. The Lazarus Effect. Figured yes, you'd be interested that's in that. In that mm-hmm. Final Destination, The Dead Zone, Dead Awake, and the nightmare. Those are just a few. Just, there are yeah. so many. You can oh, go I'm anywhere sure. with this. It's so broad. Well, horror movie people, like, if if a producer in Hollywood read your book, there is so much that he could take from your nightmares. Because mm-hmm. we, yeah. I mean, first of all, 
they should just go read your book if they want to know all yeah. of them. So we don't want to talk about every single one of them. But some of those are the movie theater. I thought the little like versions of yourself coming out were terrifying, fighting the devil, having to try to save your brothers and watching them die over and over, over and over and over again. Yeah. Like that's all horror movie material yeah. that you experienced. So it's a good premise yeah. to create these movies on because mm-hmm. it's something we don't understand. So you can just let your creative imagination go wild for like mm-hmm. these producers and writers. So these are just a few stories that I picked up. Some of them are people that submitted. Some of them are things that I've just picked up. And I actually, in college, my very first psychology class, because it's general psychology when you start, one of the chapters was about near-death experiences and what happens in the brain, That's cool. which is really cool. I so neuropsychology is not my forte. <laughs> I typically stayed into the criminology, forensics, and then just like general cognitive behavioral type things in psychology. Neuro was not my thing, but I maintained actually from that general psych class, that was what I remember the most. Cause that was in like 2011 mm-hmm. when I started college. So I'll specifically remember that chapter because it was just like I just couldn't get enough of it and it was chapter three in my textbook (laughs) I specifically remember so we'll talk about some of that too but this one says I got hit by a car once when I was about 13 and I will never forget the experience that came afterward I was biking and a lady hit me with her car I had a moment prior to being hit where I knew I was it was going to happen but it was far too late for me to actually do anything about it I braced for impact got hit and went straight into the state of complete and utter silence I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. There were no smells, no thoughts, and no feelings. I just existed in this peaceful little black bubble, and it was the most at peace I've ever been in my life. It felt like I had been there for hours, but really it had only been a few seconds before I woke up and everything came back. The loud noises, the pain from being hit, all the cars. It's crazy, though, because it was one of the most amazing feelings I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Which is what I kept reading over and over again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wanted to interject. I, I know that I read a bunch of it, and I think yeah. you did too, of people reaching such a high sensitivity of peace that they try and then meditate to get there. And then mm-hmm. when they do, they're just sad that they've yeah. reached that peace again. Yeah. Because you can't die unless you're, you're ready you're to die. You can't yeah. just keep staying in that meditative state. So yeah. you're kind of sad having to come back to the, the world, the painful world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is why life is, I think, described as by so many as a test. Like, yes. You're here and it's a test and mm-hmm. then you get the reward at the end. Yeah. Which most of us don't think of death as some sort of reward or resolve after mm-hmm. this life. We go about life trying to avoid it at all costs, which we should. Right. Like, we develop relationships and meaning here. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have what seems like a more deeper personal peace on the at the end of all of this Mm -hmm. so this one's really short so i'll just say this one real quick a friend of mine described death because she was technically dead twice as being surrounded by darkness and floating with some sort of warm gel-like substance covering her and she never wanted to leave Mm. and again never wanted to leave most peaceful peaceful i've ever been over and over did not want to come back popping up yeah death seems pretty peaceful not saying kill yourself not saying never never you you have to be ready for it in so many ways like you you live a full complete life Mm -hmm. and then i think there there comes a state of like okay it's peaceful it's great and i'm okay with moving forward with this right 
but I have to say there's a reason why everybody comes back is because oh wait I haven't finished this yet mm-hmm, exactly, you know yeah. and it might not be present to us but somewhere in there it's like no I gotta come back mm-hmm. and you know maybe that's where right. ghosts come from is somebody who dies and they didn't get that oh shit no I'm supposed to come back mm-hmm. moment and when they do, it's already, they're on the other side. Well, yeah. even in fucking so. Casper, when we were kids, yeah. why mm-hmm. are the ghosts there? Yeah, they have unfinished business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I think you also have to be at some ready, <laughs> level of ready mm-hmm. to move forward. Otherwise, you're going to be a Stephen King character forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have a couple stories. I'm going to interject with one. That's Okay. This one I wanted to share because this is so fucking me. Okay. (laughs) You're going to love this. All right. This person on Reddit, and I'm not even going to say it because the lame is like 12 feet long, but (laughs) I had pretty much the same experience as you did. Induced in coma for a week resulting from an MVA, so motor vehicle accident. I thought a machine at the end of my bed was a slurping machine. That'd be me. That'd be me right there. Yes, that would be torture. (laughs) Right? Exactly. I was being held hostage in a mic smart, and no one would let me have a tan slurpee. Bam. (laughs) Or Coke in your case. Coca Cola. Yes. I remember hearing lots of screaming and hearing someone yelling at the screams to shut the fuck up. Apparently, some of that was me. I remember my ex visiting me, and I thought I said I loved you, but apparently I said I like your hair. (laughs) I tried to de-intubate myself and vaguely remember being stopped. I also said some weird shit to nurses about my health, like so weird they ran medical tests on me. Turns out I was fine, just a product of whatever awesome drugs they had me on. <laughs> Anyways, I can't remember like three months before, and I barely remember the three months in the hospital. And then the next year is kind of blank, too. In fact, most of my memory went to shit after that. Funny, I did the same thing. I tried to pull my stitches out of my, for- my forehead, but my hands were casted, so I couldn't really do any damage. High fives for staying alive. <laughs> I think that's hilarious, because they had to put my feeding tube in twice. Did you After, get it out? I just kept pulling it out. <laughs> and I mean, I was on so much fentanyl. It should have... My my best friend says, you were on more fentanyl than Michael Jackson when he died. So you're oh immediately God. more boss than Michael Jackson, of course. <laughs> and <laughs> I technically survived a disease that killed Muhammad Ali. So I'm just saying. Good job. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just saying. But I was on so many drugs and I just kept coming too. Mm-hmm. So there were moments like... At one point, I was in the room when they were doing something. Oh, they were doing um, a bone marrow scope on me. And I guess you have to gown up to do this. And I don't even know if I... I can't remember if I put this in the book, but... It was basically that scene from E.T. when they have them in the the clean rooms. Okay. Because I woke up when they were in the middle of this, and I couldn't feel anything. Oh, that's... Um, But I I saw the people in these white suits, and I'm looking around, I'm like, man, I wish Tyler was here. One of my best friends, he's terrified of E.T. Like, it's Mm -hmm. his absolute worst nightmare ever. (laughs) My exact response was, I wish... Tyler was here so he could see this. Just like a clown made the connection of he yeah. was scared of clowns. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, yeah, no, this would be great to show him. <laughs> but I just, I, every time I'd come to, I tried to stand up and walk out or I'd try to rip something out of my body. Because you're done with this shit. Yeah. You're like, I'm awake. <laughs> I'm Let's go. Done. Let's go. I ripped an uh, arterial, what is that? And it was in an artery. So... You know, arteries, they bleed hard. Oh, gosh. So you and painted I, the room. I, pa- I literally <laughs> painted the ceiling and the walls covered in blood. And they weren't watching me at the moment because they thought I was in a coma. So I ripped this out of my arm and just shoot blood everywhere. And I'm just... <laughs> 
Neat. Dripping blood. I tried to do it in the jugular as well, but they stopped oh me. Oh my god, thank Because god. by then they were on time. Yeah, I would have bled to death if I did that one. But I'm just like, get these tubes out of me now. But also those poor nurses, because you are a horror movie. They're just yes. in there, and all of a sudden there's blood just on the ceiling. And they're like, Fuck. everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. I'm leaving. <laughs> I quit. I, I actually, I don't know. If, I think she quit. She definitely left my case. I had a studying CNA try to sit me up after and I was kind of in and out of it so I sit up and this poor girl is standing there in front of me and I remember this very distinctly because everything in my body which I don't even know how there was anything in my body <laughs> comes out on her <laughs> you are literally a and horror her movie face <laughs> just oh, this sinking yeah. yeah like it was exorcist and I don't know how to describe it. Like a person who's just seeing a horrific car crash happen in front of them and they're being splattered with blood at that moment and her face just dropped and she's just like, oh my God. And you can see it in her eyes. Do I help the patient or do I help myself? Do I help the patient or do I help myself? She laid me back down very quickly and rushed out of the room and I never saw her again. I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure she quit that day. She was like, you know what? I'm just going to go be a CNA at like a PCP office exactly. where people have colds and flus. I'm done. That's what I want. I don't want any of this. It's so bad. This next one that I have actually has stuck with me the most because of what they said when they came back. But when I was 15, I was scheduled to do a tilt table test where they lean you up at an angle. On, you're laying on a table and they move it because I was consistently experiencing dizziness and fainting spells. After 20 minutes, the doctor tilted the table back and I could feel myself passing out. I got severe tunnel vision and lost 95% of my eyesight, like mm-hmm. looking through a straw. And then I blacked out. I remember hearing the doctor call the code and my father yelling at them that they killed me. So before I continue, you go in for a tilt table test and you die. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, like the doctor's not ready for a code. Test. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. That's like if, like, I've done yeah. a stress test before. I was going to say, we've had people stroke before in our That's office. true. They come in for an eye exam and they yeah. stroke out. We mm-hmm. have had that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's terrible. We are not equipped for that. We right. do not have a defibrillator. We, our doctors are great eye doctors. They are not MDs. They were not trained to defibrillate. Yeah. So. They got CPR, but that's a bad idea. Right. So it, you're doing a tilt table test, and then your patient just fucking dies. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. cool. I remember hearing a lot of slamming and banging around, which I assumed was the crash cart and nurses sh- shoving into this small testing room, and I felt a pressure on my chest, like when you have someone stand on your back. To pop it, which I found out later was the nurses doing CPR. I saw an array of vivid colors dancing around and forming objects in the dark. The scariest thing was how peaceful it felt. Just pure 100% peace. There was no panic, no pain, no sadness, nothing but bliss. I coded for under two minutes, and as soon as I came to and opened my eyes, I felt this overwhelming sense of anger and hostility. I started ripping out everything that I could get my hands on and yelling at the doctor to get me off that table. You guys, Jessie is just sitting here nodding her head on everything. <laughs> yep, yep, She's yep. like, I went through it. I'm fucking there. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> and the reason that stayed with me is because, yeah, of course you want all this shit out of your body, but he was so angry because he was so happy. Yes. And they fucked it all up by saving his life. <laughs> It's so interesting that that is the feel. You get you get the weirdest emotions, especially like even just passing out. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how you felt when you came to. Mm-hmm. It was just fear or just 
anxiety from mm-hmm. it, but you just have the weirdest fucking emotions when you it come was back. Just, like, what? I just remember it being painful coming back. Like, yeah. I was so chill, and it was so calming. And like I said, I will choose drowning over anything. I swear to God. Because you've done it. You I've can done do it, it again. And it was so peaceful. I suggest morphine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this one is kind of gross. But funner that way. I was electrocuted by 13,800 volts. <laughs> wow. Dude. The doctors say it's likely the first hit stopped my heart and the second one started it. Before I was pulled like a lifeless corpse to safety. <laughs> I remember experience the darkest dark and the most silent silence. I ceased to care that I was dying. Time seemed to change. It could have been hours, but it was only minutes. It was only about 30, or excuse me, it was only about 30 seconds, not minutes. I felt as though I was floating and floated towards something that I eventually realized was my body and reality. Upon joining with whatever it was I was floating towards, I became self-aware in my body and heard the electricity making horrible noises and I knew I was in danger. From there, it was a horribly painful experience and I was upset that I had to come back. I lost most of my toes due to tissue death and had severe electrical burns on all four limbs. Most More surgeries than I have ever cared to count and seeing the round bone ends of my toes that were freshly amputated still haunts me a little. I wish they would have let me keep flo- kept floating. Damn. Shit, that dude is mad. Like, I yeah. would be mad. Oh my god. But yeah. We are not promoting to kill yourself. Swear to god. No. But, but now <laughs> I want to go get a DNR. Oh my gosh. <laughs> which is a do not resuscitate like just let me die <laughs> no i guess it depends on what age i'm at but that's no. you know like my grandmother had a dnr so deep into alzheimer's that she couldn't remember how to swallow because we've heard twice now from you and from actually someone we work with that mm-hmm. it's the swallowing thing yeah like once you, you forget how to so swallow fast. that's interesting yes. yeah weird it's also like, interesting oh, I don't know how to do this okay. yeah okay. it's also you don't realize that it's learned like when you're a baby yeah it's just right? something you feel like you should just be able to do yeah. something that's really interesting that struck me when we started asking for these near-death experience stories you would be amazed how many people you know in your life personally that have died yeah God, we've got two at work yeah at least just in and we only have like 15 people in our office yeah and we got two of them that have coded and come back and another one whose wife like it's that close yeah yep so just start asking people like i shared on facebook i was like y'all ever died and i got messages mm-hmm. like yeah <laughs> some car Which accidents interesting we weren't expecting anything on that no but i mean and i don't think necessarily your heart has to stop for you to be close to death and experience something mm-hmm. like that like you could just pass out and mm-hmm. like be on the brink of it you know mm-hmm. or um it's just so interesting what people experience I think it's cool because you, when you do kind of open yourself up to it, you get to experience a lot of new information. So just sharing my story, I get to hear things like this. Yeah. And I've even had instances where a person will come up and they just say, something told me to talk to you. Hmm. Let's talk. And I stop what I'm doing and I sit down and I talk with them. What if you wake up one day and you're a medium? That would be amazing. You start a TV show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's cool, though. I love it. I love being able to just, like, connect with people on that level. Yeah. And these are cool. I want to know more about that electrocution story. Like, how? Why? Dude, right? <laughs> I don't think he wanted to. <laughs> and I just want to throw this out there real quick. Yeah. If you think you're too young for, like, a uh, living will, DNR, if you want to, 
get your medical stuff in order as soon as you can because yeah. I was 21. I was at the peak of my health. I had mm-hmm. no idea what was going to happen to me. Of course, yeah. Yeah. But this one was like kind of ridiculous because it should have never happened. But my girlfriend is anaphylactic and is triggered by a chemical that is found in pretty much every food. When she was in high school, she had her first big reaction, and the school nurses refused to administer her EpiPen until the ambulance got there because they didn't want to be liable. What the fuck? Why so that, even? So, oh like, God. I know schools ask parents with kids with food allergies to provide them with an EpiPen to keep at school. Mm-hmm. So maybe if the kid's having an allergic reaction, administer the EpiPen. Mm-hmm. Like, you would think. You know, life-saving drugs. Who would? Uh, yeah. Who would want to do that? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, obviously, having an anaphylactic reaction doesn't give you a lot of waiting time. So by the time the ambulance got to her school, she was in pretty bad shape and she was barely conscious. The paramedics immediately administered one of her EpiPens, called the nurses some names, and loaded <laughs> her into the ambulance. <laughs> She continued to fade, so they gave her a direct injection of adrenaline this time, and still she was not reacting to the drug. They gave her a second direct injection of adrenaline, and this time it hits her about 30 seconds later all at once, and her heart fails. She stops breathing. There is no pulse. She's just dead. Dead to the world. For about 2 minutes and 46 seconds, she was clinically dead, and they almost stopped resuscitating her. The scariest thing is, she saw nothing. She tells me that when you are losing consciousness, you can't tell the difference between waves of drowsiness and when your body actually shuts down. All she saw was the darkness of her eyelids, and it felt like going into an extremely calm sleep where she couldn't hear or feel anything, and she didn't mind at all. All despite the fact that her mother and the paramedics were screaming at her to keep her eyes open and the ambulance was flying towards the hospital. She miraculously just came back to life almost three minutes later and they were giving her as they were giving her chest compressions, and the cardiologist that assessed her case later stated that all the adrenaline in her body was enough to not only stop her heart but to also restart it with the little help from the paramedic pumping it around but still to this day she cannot differentiate falling asleep after a long day and dying Ooh, that's cool yeah fascinating yeah i gotta totally agree with that i mean if you don't know what's happening to you mm-hmm. that's kind of it like mm-hmm. cool i'm out of sleep mm-hmm. it's over exactly you know? It's so it's so peaceful. I think it's so upsetting for some people here that how peaceful it is. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Well, and our whole lives, like, you get so terrified of dying and then yeah. to find out or to at least assume from these stories that it's, like, falling asleep. It's like nothing. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, it's the, the you trying to live part that's painful. I mean, we're not going to get into it, but that kind of makes you question why we're even, like... You were put here to suffer and then to die, which is better than being here, apparently. Oh, no. I don't think you're put here to suffer. I think we put ourselves through the suffering. Yeah. Like, I mean, some things hurt. I'll say that. But, damn, is it a beautiful world we live in. Mm -hmm. And only when you die do you... Well, not. I don't think it's only when you die. Yeah. You just got to open your eyes to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, those rose-colored glasses are something to be said for. I... The stupidest shit makes me happy. Ladybugs... A good cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I talk to my damn plants because I love them for being alive. Like, and I try not to kill things, even spiders that freak me out. I try yeah. to give them a chance. Like, there was one crawling in my car the other day, and I made him leave. But I'm like, I'm not gonna you kill go. you. You just you gotta get out of here, man. You either take the car, or you go. And it's just like we put ourselves through all of this shit, and it's painful, yes, but it's so worth it because. You get to see the sunrise every day and know that today could be the day. 
we get to make incredible discoveries like the moon mm-hmm. you know or all of the planets in our in our uh, solar system which fuck it i went to school years ago i don't know how many there are now i still like to believe pluto is a planet a second <laughs> pluto is a planet that's right <laughs> you know we we make all these beautiful discoveries and we make life better for other people and if we think in that sense mm-hmm. and we do that for the people around us it's so much more worth living than if we just focus in on the pain of it. And I hope that people do live like that. I just, mm-hmm. you know, now hearing, I think for so many people that death is so peaceful might shake yeah. their world a little bit, you know, like mm-hmm. that's true. Especially people that are going with severe depression or anxiety yeah. or, or grief or, I mean, the worst thing I've ever been through is grief, mm-hmm. you know, grieving my father, watching my mother lose her soulmate. Like your mother said, mm-hmm. you know, I was telling Kristen the other day, and I have told her several times because we're very close, you know, I had my brother and my mother and my boyfriend at the time, my husband that I had never even met, uh, school, people all around me, so many things to live for. Mm-hmm. And they took, the universe took one of those things for me, one out of a ton of them. But it was so important that I was like, I want to die too. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. I want to go with you. Like mm-hmm. I don't like I don't care, you yeah. know. And so, I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to talk about your experience because mm-hmm. you're right. Like, there is a reason to even if we don't know our purpose, there's a yeah. reason to be here. And maybe who's to say that you have to have some grand purpose? Maybe like I'm pretty happy in the mundane most of the time. Yeah. You know, I get to hang out with my dogs and my husband and go to movies with you and do this podcast. And that makes me happy enough. Yeah, I agree. You know, so I don't, I don't, sometimes I get into those like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing? Like, I don't feel fulfilled, but it's also talking about this kind of stuff. It's like, there is no purpose. Just like, just try to be happy as happy as you can. Yeah. Try to make the world a better place. I think if you... And, I mean, this comes from a person who's been in the place of, like, oh, it's just not worth it anymore. And the place of death is more peaceful. But if you, uh, you just got to find something to live for. Yeah. Well, like, you would have never met your son. I know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't imagine that. Like, holy shit, he wouldn't exist in this world. And I do believe he will change this world for the better. And I try to teach him that every single day because I want him to be that person. But, Mm -hmm. I mean... And that's exactly it. It's like, yeah. I didn't know it when I came back, but it's like, yeah, I'm here for a reason. I don't have to fucking just live until they find it. Yeah, you know? exactly. So this one's going to be a lot darker. This one Wonderful. is about Bring it on. not so much visiting heaven, but visiting hell. Yes. And this was the one that fascinated me the most years ago. There's actually, I think it's History Channel or something like that. They did The Seven Deadly Sins. And when they got to anger, they interviewed this guy. So I'm just going to start out with, he's an atheistic man with intense anger issues, including self-proclaiming to have upturned the dinner table more than once, and his wife and children feared him. All right. So, in 1985, Howard Storm, he has a book if anybody wants to go read it, by the way, after returning to his Paris hotel room with his wife, had a sudden onset of severe abdominal pain. He was evaluated at Paris Hospital and diagnosed with duodenal perforation, sorry, not gonna get that right, and required surgery. As he lay waiting for surgery, he truly believed that he was going to die due to the severity of his pain and so mentally prepared himself. After saying goodbye to his wife, he eventually passed out. Storm reports the following subconscious experience. He opened his eyes and found himself standing outside of his body, looking down at the hospital bed with his wife crying beside him. 
He was without pain and hypersensitive. His wife could not see or hear him. He was then drawn by voices calling his name outside the hospital room, and he followed them, believing they were taking him to a doctor. He describes pale, humanoid creatures that urged him down the hallway, saying that they had been waiting for him. The creatures became increasingly hostile, and upon refusing to continue following, they began to attack him. He then heard a voice saying, pray to God. And so he recited Bible fragment verses and the Pledge of Allegiance because it had God in it. Right. When Interesting. He men- yeah. Especially for an atheist. Like, exactly. Right? He didn't know. When he mentioned the word God, the creatures would retract, and eventually he was alone again. After a period of time, he called out for Jesus to save him and suddenly was rescued by spiritual beings of light. Thereafter, he had a recollection of his entire life in review, which highlighted some negative aspects of his life, like him turning the dinner table and shit like that. Before the beings of light answered his questions, they told him that the United States was a blessed nation, but one which required change lest lose its prosperity. So if we don't change, we're fucked. He described visions of a future played by war, natural disasters, and despair, but which could be avoided should there be a major spiritual shift in the consciousness of the world. These beings told him that the correct religion is that religion that brings you closest to God, which I find fascinating. It's not saying go be a Catholic, go be anything. Just get your spiritual shit figured out. Yes, it's like when people are like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And you're like, but seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A no. lot of those people. That's, well, that's like, what I'm saying. That's right? exactly right. how I feel. You're right. Exactly. Then mm-hmm. in that case, yeah. it's whatever gets you closest to whatever God you believe in, whether mm-hmm. that be God, the, the Christian God, the Catholic God is the same but you whatever know, helps Judaism, you spiritually get there judaism mm-hmm. like uh islam. stop judging other people Hinduism. on their religion yeah exactly which is fascinating i also this is not something i have written down but in my textbook in psychology there was a story about this guy who got into a car accident he died and his car actually went into water and mm-hmm. so he was drowning because mm-hmm. he was trapped <laughs> and he said that he went down this hallway and it was hot and it smelled of sulfur and there were these beings just crawling around that were terrifying and they showed him all of these negative things and they were like you have to change or this will be it for you mm-hmm. and they sent him back and he completely changed everything about his life that's what this dude did he yeah. was an atheist now he's a minister and a pastor in his church and things like that yeah. he chose so a church I don't, I'm not even going to say which one it is because it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter no. whatever helped him get there spiritually and even if he didn't if he just became more of a spiritual yeah. person you know he was a he was a person who people feared and now people trust him and respect him right yeah i think that's it it's like stop stop being so angry and mm-hmm. selfish and exactly. start just you know be be happy with what you got and be yeah. happy for the world around you you know yeah. i think we could we could change the world if we were all just a little right more Everyone right. has to die and come back. Then That's everything right. will be great. <laughs> Collectively, we'll all do that. Please don't kill yourself. No. I don't know how many times I can say that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I mean. <laughs> we just put, like, it's like kind of like when you become of age and have to go into the military in some countries. We, mm-hmm. Countries, we're going to put you in a coma. Yeah. For like two days. Have you experienced this. And then you're going to come back. <laughs> exactly. It's totally safe. Yeah. <laughs> so this one's interesting. Actually, it caught my eye because... They had actual horror movie nightmares. Ooh, cool. I remember it was a very long dream. First, it was a nightmare. I was being chased by these Chucky dolls with knives who were trying to murder me. Eventually, though, the dream shifted and Jesus came to me. He explained that he would take me to heaven if I was ready. 
My parents were there and they were very sad that I was going to leave. And I remember thinking about it a lot and weighing all the options, but I finally decided that I was going to go with Jesus. When I told Jesus I was ready, he smiled at me and said, I'm sorry, it's not your time. He then went up into the sky and disappeared into the light. I was very upset because I was ready to go. Then I remember waking up and three months had passed. So it should be noted that this person him and his family were very Catholic and that reaffirmed everything they believe and he went on to be a doctor. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So now he's just going to be Catholic for the rest of his life, I'm sure, because that was his experience. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I was going to say, I feel like um, even in that kind of sense, we all, we all experience something dark and something light. And a lot of religions, not all, but a lot of religions have that kind of same distinction. The God and the devil, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't that fucking fascinating. That all these different cultures that yeah. didn't talk to each other came up with the same thing. Yeah, that's very true. What's fucking real? Just well, <laughs> right. We'll find out when we really get uh-huh. there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're gonna hate this. Me? It goes on with the horror movie dreams. Okay. I love the horror movie dreams. I think that's awesome. So for background, so you know us a little bit better. Is it something to do with the Grudge? The scariest movie <gasps> yes! I've ever seen. Is that terrifying to you too? I love the Grudge. Yeah. The scariest movie to me is The Exorcist and the exorcism of Emily Rose. Exorcism movies. The scariest movie to her is The Grudge. Oh my God. When she's like just crawling down the stairs. Did you see the original, the Japanese version of it? We reviewed it with The Grudge. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm just going to suggest you a movie called The Sisters. It is, I don't know what nationality it is. I feel like it's a Korean horror movie, but they follow the same kind of idea of like the ghost is always the main horror mm-hmm. movie monster. Shit. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> because I love to be scared, but also that's horrible. But um, that's, that's great. Also, yes. <laughs> the sisters? The sisters. Okay. It's really hard to find in this country, but you you'll find it. Okay. Before I entered into a coma Fell from a, well, because she entered a coma, she fell from the second story of a gym under construction and landed on her head. Jesus Christ. Why were you? <laughs> right before that, she had watched The Grudge. Mm. So during the entirety of the coma, this literally, I could not picture a worse hell for you. I dreamed <laughs> that I was trapped in a completely white room from floor to ceiling with The Grudge Girl. Mm. She never moved. And just stood there in the corner. But when I woke up from that coma, I refused to close my eyes for several nights Mm -hmm. from fear of seeing her again. I'm going to let you process that. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I have talked about it because we've seen it and reading the book and all of that. Yeah. And one of the kids, I'm just like, whatever, this is kind of boring. But when you actually put yourself in the kids Mm -hmm. seeing their nightmares... I would have a heart attack if I saw that grudge girl Literally. coming at me, crawling at me. I told I would you, have a fucking heart attack. I had a dream, of, and Reagan McNeil was <sighs> in my dream the other night, just like three, four nights ago. And I woke up, and we had said Brad and I had set a sleep timer on our TV. And I woke up, and it, the room was dark, and I was like, "Where's the remote?" And I was like, "Brad, wake up! Where's the remote? I gotta turn the TV <laughs> yeah, on." Like I have to watch like Bob's Burgers or Archer yeah. or Family Guy or like something mindless and animated, and like I could not go back to sleep. So I can't imagine, like, if I ever w- was in a coma and it was all the exorcist, I would be like, can you please just take me? I don't care if it's heaven. Yeah, I don't, I'd like, be like, please, just, please right get me now. out of here. <laughs> that's the, that's, if I was the devil, that's what I would do. 
like if you really want to make a deal like like trick somebody be like I'll get you out of here if you come with me I'd be like okay right I'm <laughs> get me out of here <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> okay <clears throat> I was in a chemically induced coma for two weeks. My situation was not normal. They didn't know what was wrong with me, other than that my lungs were totally full of fluid and my brain was on the fast track to shutting down. They told my mother I was going to die and they couldn't do anything about it. They said over and over that I shouldn't be alive and they kept telling me that. The nurses, the doctors, the girls in the ambulance. I remember fading away while staring at the freakishly bright lights in my face in the ER. If others' dreams were anything like mine, they won't want to tell you about them or it'll be scary. They're not dreams, they're another reality. I remember meeting people that I'd never seen or heard of, becoming really good friends with them, then watching one of the girls die in a horrific car wreck. Apparently I came to at some point and started asking the girl, is she okay? And it was the most vivid thing I've ever been a part of. I remember there was a party where people were covered in animal shit. There was some really dark stuff that I really don't want to talk about, much less write down. I have quote unquote forgotten some of it I suppose it was terrible for me some people's experiences may be different but mine was a drug induced hell and I wouldn't wish those dreams on anyone I spent 14 days under I was not aware of anything on the outside it never occurred to me that I may have been dead or dying I never once thought I was in bad shape I walked into the hospital with less than 30% blood oxygen concentration all of this happened on Christmas Eve night I'm six years past that now, and I was told the only lasting damage was some scar tissue on my lungs that may or may not go away. If you're dying, your dreams are fucked up, and nothing good or fun took place. <laughs> I call bullshit that she didn't re- quote unquote remember things. Like she didn't remember, or she remembers all of that mm-hmm. shit for sure. But she probably like she says she doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to write it down. Like yeah. it's just too real. All right, here's a, there's a, I only have like two stories on his. So this last one that I have is actually from a coworker of Kristen and, and myself. Um, mm-hmm. And he, it's so funny because I shared this on my Facebook of like, hey, I'll live or die. Like, let me know. And he came the next day and was like, I was in a coma and I died. I was like, tell me about it. So he came into my office or our office, mm-hmm. sat down and I typed it out while he talked. So he got really sick and his wife noticed that he wasn't breathing at night and he was turning blue. I do want to start with, he yeah. is also a religious man. Yes. He is Catholic, intensely Catholic, yes. on both sides of his family. So right. that brings a lot into this. Yeah. When they went to the emergency room, he had to be immediately intubated and had a 108 degree fever because he was allergic to a drug that he had been taking that made him really sick. So they did the whole thing mm-hmm. the ice packs mm-hmm. and, and all that. He also mentioned, and I never want to hear this from another human being ever again, that he shed. He shed his skin and yeah. his fingernails. That was fucking terrifying. What? Yeah, yeah. right? He all got of his so hair, all hot. All his fingernails, everything. Everything was just like, we're gone. It's he too hot. He's a brand new person. <laughs> he just got new skin and everything. Yeah. Oh my God. He could hear things going on around him, but he was in hell. So he described this as he was on a spiral staircase and heard nothing but Jack in the Box music. Like when Fuck you, that, uh-huh, that right? like carnival-y, circus-y kind of music. 
So he was on a cross, like he was being crucified, and his grandmother was below him, riding around on a tricycle or a bicycle. I don't remember which one he said. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, she was holding on to and was connected to him by his intestines that were hanging out of his body. That's some fucked up shit. (laughs) And his family, who were much older than him, and he was like in his 20s at the time, were children versions of themselves, and they were down below him, taunting him and screaming at him. And he mentioned that Charmed was what they decided to put on TV in his room. And mm-hmm. so, of course, Charmed is witchcraft. And well, I found it all fascinating also because he mentioned that his fever was 108, and he's just imagining himself in hell. Because he said it was like your brain's trying to go. Why are you so hot right now? It was a room with literally fire Mm -hmm, and brimstone Mm -hmm. and like all of that stuff. As he got better and his fever came down, the dreams got better. He also basically said he restarted his childhood. So when he, after that, his fever started coming down. He was a child, Mm -hmm. and then as his fever got better and he was closer to coming out, he aged up Mm -hmm. to where he was actually in real life. Interesting. Which is super interesting. So he basically grew again. He had to relearn how to swallow and use all his extremities, and he had two heart attacks while he was under and had to be resuscitated. Jesus Christ, dude. Which has left him with lifelong problems because he does have a lot of health problems. He has like a pancreas problem because of that fever getting so intense Mm -hmm. and just fucked up his body. Yeah, just for everybody to know, you get 102 as an adult, go to the hospital because you start to suffer brain damage. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's bad. We can't survive a few days with a high fever. Yeah. Literally. Start it's frying real. brain cells. Yes. That's why I like to tell people I'm blonde and brain damaged. And just to let you know, I'm now a brunette. So. <laughs> <laughs> actually, to go along with that story, I only had the two, but I just remembered something that I wanted to bring up, actually. So I have another story, and this is this was really interesting to me. So it says, my dad was in a coma for about two months a couple of years ago. Recently, we were talking about the whole thing, and he told me that he had dreamed slash hallucinated that he lived for 10 years and did all sorts of things during that time. He said it was very vivid, and he walked across the country a couple of times during it. When he woke up and got home, he said it would throw him off when he would run into people and that he hadn't seen before the coma because at first he always expected them to have aged by 10 years. Interesting. So he lived a whole other life for 10 years while he was in that coma. For two months, right? Exactly. That's yeah. incredible. So mm-hmm. on that note, there are people that are in comas for years and years and years. Yes. And years. Don't fucking let that happen to me. This is out on a public forum. Yeah. It is recorded. It can never be deleted off the internet. <laughs> if I'm in a coma for years, don't let that shit happen to me. I don't mm-hmm. want to be in a coma for years. Mm-hmm. 40 days or 30 days. Yeah. 16 days. 16 Sounds days. Sounds horrible enough. Yes. Don't let me go through whatever personal hell yeah. I'm in for years. Please, God, I don't know what the proper time is, um, but I'm just throwing that out there. Here's the great thing. Yeah. I just got to throw this out here. So my siblings taking the opportunity. My family is very funny. Mm-hmm. We can make a joke at a funeral just because it just seems like the right moment, right? <laughs> um, so... My sister and my brothers decided to convince me I was not in a coma for 16 days. I was in a coma for three years. Oh, my God. And that they had 
moved on with their lives in so many ways, but they were there for me, but they're like, they made up these elaborate stories that the three of them went together with. Oh my God. On this, like my sister got married and had babies and my brothers were both, well, one of them was already like in the process of getting married, but they were married and everybody was living their lives. So I legit thought for maybe like two days that I had been in a coma for for several years. And I, it was pretty freaky. I was like, oh my God, I, I That's missed out funny, but so also much. incredibly fucked up. <laughs> it was hilarious. Now it's hilarious because I'm right, like, okay, right. I've only gone for 16 days. Yeah. But you know, I will say it's weird to know that I wasn't alive for 16 days. Like I wasn't here for 16 days because yeah. like I try to make up stories in my mind mm-hmm. as though I was. Like, oh yeah, the one right. time when somebody did something because they told me the story mm-hmm. or there's this whole movement happening in Washington at the time and I turned on the news and I was like, what the fuck happened while I was it's like I literally didn't exist for this time frame. That's so weird. <laughs> Three years? That would have been a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much you have to relearn. Oh yeah. I thought I was gonna have to learn names of nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck am I gonna do? Yeah, love people you've never met before. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <laughs> I've said it numerous times in the past, and I very much believe that it, everything is cyclical. Our souls just go into the next body, and we just continue. Like, I'm sure there's a break for a little bit until our body is ready, and then we just move on. And that whole 10-year thing definitely makes me think of that. It makes me think, like, his soul moved on for a little bit. Maybe. Like, he yeah. chilled for 10 years somewhere else, doing yeah. something else with another family. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, that gives me a lot of hope. Like, I don't believe it ends. I believe... It's going to sound really weird, but like, let's go all the way back. Like... Yeah dinosaurs and shit like that 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 stuff just keeps repeating over and over again in different manifestations exactly yeah oh that's interesting well it's like rain well it's reincarnation yeah i believe in reincarnation yeah. exactly you should meet my cat dog <laughs> i lost a cat and five days later i had a dog born that looks exactly like her so much so that the vet was like i'm pretty sure this is your reincarnated cat <laughs> so that's funny you say that because you've met leia yes and you met pudge yes because brad took pudge to work with him i remember pudge yes so, well. so i had brad and i adopted a 13 12 or 13 year old pug in july of 2017 and last august we lost him so we only had him for about a year mm-hmm. and he was probably about 14 at the time we lost him he was incontinent the whole time we had him, and his tongue hung out of the left side of his body, and there were just so many things that were so characteristic of him. Mm-hmm. We lost Pudge on August 31st, and Leia, our pit bull puppy, was born on the next day. Mm-hmm. The next day. Mm-hmm. She's incontinent for the rest of her life. Ten-month-old puppy. Maybe they spayed her too early, which they did, which is fucked up, and that's another story, but why is that ten-month-old pit bull incontinent for the rest of her life? Mm-hmm. Like, I will always believe that's Pudge. There are so many things that Brad and I have noticed about her behaviors, about mm-hmm. when she came home, the things that she did and where she went. And and just, um, she had, it was the craziest thing you remember. She had a limp mm-hmm. when she yep. was a baby up until she was like yeah. six months old. And the vet had no idea why. We had no idea why, and because Pudge had a lot of mobility issues, and mm-hmm. he was gimpy, and she was gimpy, and she's a baby. There's no reason yep. she mm-hmm. should limp, and she limped like. Yep. And the first like a epi- that when I had that epiphany, I honestly teared up. I was like, "We lost him the 31st. She was born the first. Like we just happened to walk into the rescue. We got married and, exactly. and walked into this rescue that we had like. There are so many rescues in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs." And we were just 
in that area. We were like, let's go by and look. And we left with her that day. Like, I will always believe that's Pudge. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He just got a new body. That's exactly A very thing. able body who yep. now runs around and plays in the water. And he loved getting baths. And she loves playing in the hose. And, mm. you know, it's just... So interesting. Death mm-hmm. death, and everything that comes with it is just so interesting that we'll never understand. And it can be scary, but hopefully through talking about this, like, mm-hmm. it makes it less scary. Like, yes, we are a horror podcast, so mm-hmm. we love scary. Mm-hmm. But death is one of those things where you should never try to make it as scary as possible because it's inevitable and we all have to experience exactly. it. And it should be as peaceful and, I hate to say, easy as possible, mm-hmm. you know? So, again, thank you, Jesse, so much yes, for being here. We you. hope you had a good time. I know it's hot as balls in this house because we don't have AC, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for being here. And, again, you can find Jesse's book, I believe, on Amazon. Is there? Is yes. that pretty much? Okay. Yep. It is called Heaven, Hell, and a Mango, and we didn't really touch on this, but when you woke up, you had mango ice cream. <laughs> oh, my God. I was obsessed with mangoes the minute I woke up. For some reason, I, I've never touched mangoes before in my life, like as a kid. It didn't cross my mind. And when I came out of my coma, well, before I came out of my coma, I tasted mangoes. I smelled mangoes. They were the thing I could smell in heaven. And so I woke up just craving. I want a Coca-Cola and a mango. And if you don't get me one of those things, I'm going to lose it. Um, <laughs> so I, I obsess over them as being the thing that brings me a little closer to my piece of heaven. Kind yeah. of like meditation for some. Mm-hmm. It's not so close that I feel like I'm there again. Right. But it's close enough for it just... It satisfies that peace of mind. Yeah. And so my book is Heaven, Hell, because I went to heaven after experiencing what was absolutely hell. And then I craved mangoes like crazy, <laughs> and I still crave them to this day. It's, Which is why the mango. We had yes. actually mango mimosas today. Yes, and I got some dry mango here that I can't wait to dig <laughs> into. <Yes. laughs> so uh, check it out on Amazon. I, I think it's like... A, it's not it's not expensive at like all. Like two bucks or something. I mean, yeah, it's like two bucks. Yeah, exactly. So check it out. It's not a long read. It's not like mm-hmm. they're very concise and to the point. Like it's mm-hmm. great because mm-hmm. you just get right into the the drama of your situation. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. drama in like a dramatic way, but mm-hmm. the true drama that that oh, yeah. you had to tell and you and your mother had to tell. So check it out on Amazon. And thank you so much for listening again to this loosely formatted episode. Yes. <laughs> you can hang out with us on Facebook and Instagram at the Extra Sisters Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Extra Sisters. You can find us on our website, which is extrasisters.com. We have blog and uh, blogs and all of our episodes, things like that on there that you can check out. And you can always email us at the at gmail.com. And until next time, stay creepy.